Um, so the last few weeks we've been talking about sila, sila, or morality, or ethics, or virtue, which is one of the basic teachings of the Buddha and of Buddhism, and an important part of practice. And uh, and I gave a pretty pretty you know overall talk about uh, sila and precepts. Precept practice is what I talked about, which are there are five basic precepts that as lay people or householders that the Buddha said, I'll live your life by these five precepts. The precept not to harm or kill, the precept not to steal, the precept not to misuse your sexuality, the precept not to misuse speech, and the precept not to misuse uh, intoxicating drugs and alcohol. And uh, those precepts provide a basis for practice that is fundamental or foundational and quite helpful. And so then I gave a talk about it. Um, and then last week we had more of an open discussion about it. And I thought this week I would talk a little more about the speech part of the precepts because it's such a basic part of our life what we're doing now which is I'm talking and you're listening and usually it's not always me talking and you're listening but in general we're always communicating we're always relating in this way we're speaking or we're listening or you know with somebody else or with a bunch of people and that's part of human reality, a very ordinary, normal part of human reality. And um, it's an important place where the Dharma can come to life in what's called right speech. And I was looking at some material about right speech and some of the talks that I've given in the past and uh, different people. And I was looking at uh, Bhikkhu Bodhi who actually, I don't know if I said this, he was supposed to come here. Did I say that? Yeah, and he's, he's having some health issues, not, not life or death, but it's, it's a drag, you know, health issues, how they are. So he had to cancel, so he's not going to be coming right now. Um, but he said an interesting thing about uh, speech and, and, and sila in general. He said part, partly it's about ethics, but really, there's a deeper level to all the precepts and to all the um, uh, modes of organizing our life in a way. It's not just to live ethically, but to support awakening. And so there's the ethical part or the moral part or the virtue part. That's a word that I like, that it's a practice of virtue. And then the power of that but the power having to do with our awakening or with our freedom. And so it's, it's, an, and it's an aid, as he puts it, it's an aid to the purification of the heart and mind, which then leads to liberation or to freedom or to nirvana, whatever word you would like to use. <coughs> and it's, I think they're important because it starts to point to something about practice that sometimes people don't get immediately or get confused about or forget about 
which is that practice is not just about meditation. Meditation is one of the fundamental practices that lead to freedom, that lead to awakening, that lead to liberation. Um, but they're only one of the practices, they're, and, and it's only part of the practice. And it, it goes hand in hand with the meditation practice, the realization that comes with meditation practice, and then the embodiment that comes with realization. So I'm going to say that again. There's meditation, there's realization, there's embodiment. Because realization is not just having a great experience on your meditation cushion. Or it's not just seeing the nature of reality. That's part of it. But that there's still a maturation of, of practice, of realization, of awakening that means one embodies one's realization. That it becomes a living realization, a living awakeness. And so... Um, I think speech is a great place to begin to look at practice in a broader sense. <coughs> and how does the Dharma begin to manifest as we uh, live our lives? How does it manifest as we have our relationships? How does it manifest as we do our work or work in our, the different settings we work in? Or how does it manifest in our communities or how does it manifest in our politics or how does it manifest in our international relationships with the whole world and there are certain principles that the Dharma brings forward or can bring forward with practice like nobility is one of the words that's used in Buddhism often and I, I actually looked it up because I thought, oh, it always sounds like king or queen nobility, like that's the idea. And the word nobility it said it meant dignity, graciousness, goodness, decency. And these are part of the, the streams of reality that weave into the Dharma practices nobility, mindfulness, compassion, presence, wakefulness, hearness, not being lost in past, future ideas, beliefs, but actually awakening in reality, in the reality that's sitting in our seats, that's here right now, and that reality starting to reveal more of the depth of reality, or the meaning of reality, or the beauty of reality, or the nobility of reality. <clears throat> so I thought I would talk a little, I thought I would speak tonight about speech. <laughs> <laughs> and, and when we talk about speech in Buddhism, we mean the written word also. And, and really, as I was thinking about it today, I was thinking about, you know, speaking and what did I want to say and what, what did I think was important and all that stuff. And I realized one of the things that I want to say, and I might as well say enough, is also to, it's helpful to start to um, pay attention to speech as a practice 
because if you really start to pay attention, you'll notice that you're speaking to yourself a lot. Right? It's not just this kind of speech with, you know, the, the mouth and, and words and oral, but also our, our mind. We're always talking to ourselves or often talking to ourselves or telling ourselves or commenting about reality or defining it or assessing it or something. But we're talking to ourselves constantly, most people. And so it's very helpful to start to recognize speech for what it is, which is one of the phenomena of human experience. And we want to talk about it because it's a hallmark of human experience and a characteristic of humans to speak and communicate to oneself, to others. And there's a certain power in words and a certain power in language and in speech and communication that we don't want to negate or we don't want to pretend it's not powerful because actually speech is very powerful has a huge impact on us our whole lives and so much of our reality is created by speech by interactions by what we've been told, by what we believe, by what people say, or even if they don't say it, what they think, which is a form of speech, right? And the speech can, uh, it's understood from the Buddhist perspective that the speech could lead to good or harm, good or ill that it can create unity, it can create harmony, it can bring kindness or love, or it can bring division, it can bring animosity, it can bring hatred, it can bring fear or distrust. And it's interesting, we're in an interesting time, and I'm old enough, so I remember the time before technology, I don't know how many of you can remember that, but some of you here can. Like before there was a lot of technology, there was less words. Like one of the things, I notice my age in this way. I like to read a newspaper. Right? And they're going away. They're like, that's an old form of technology in newspaper. And it's quite static, right? Like you buy it, it just stays like that all day. <laughs> doesn't update every 15 minutes. You, know, you don't get newer news if you keep it with you. Where if you do it on the web, everything keeps... We're getting more speech, more input than ever as human beings. So it in some ways, the power of words is increased. Maybe it's not, I, I, I'm thinking about that. I won't say that for sure, because maybe it's decreased by technology. I'm not sure. But it, it, there's definitely more of it. So there are a couple parts to communication that are important to um, think about, consider. 
And really, here's why I want to talk about this. Because I'm not, like in general, I'm not a big, I don't talk about ethics so much. They're, they're great. And I watch how they function in my own heart and mind. But it's not, it's not where I'm drawn in terms of as a teacher. But I've been drawn to them lately. I'm not sure why exactly, but I definitely feel like the question about speech, the reason why I was drawn to speech tonight was because there's a question people always ask about mindfulness practice. Like, let me just see, how many people here have been on a retreat? On a, on a silent retreat? Okay, great. So one of the things that happens, especially for people who've been on a silent retreat and experience the power of the silent retreats, is then you come back, one comes back, and this is what happened to me. I went on a bunch of retreats, especially in the first years that I was practicing. And partly all I wanted to do was go on retreat, because they're powerful. And, excuse my language, but shit happens. And it's good shit. And so, and so um, I wanted to do a lot of retreats, and uh, I'd had a, my daughter was born right before uh, I started practicing. Or, you know, maybe I'd started practicing a little before she was born, but then she was born. And I, I didn't want to leave my daughter. I didn't want to go off to Asia and become a monk. I wasn't my interest. I was much more interested in getting to know my daughter, <laughs> which, you know, I've, I've gotten to know her now over the last, you know, 30 years. And, um, and um, but... One of the things that I would ask was, okay, if I'm not going to be on retreat, how do I practice? How can I practice? How can I make practice more every day, more important? How can I wake up here? I still want to wake up. And I think that happens for a lot of people. Say, well, how can I be mindful in my life? It's busy. It's not silent like in the retreats. And you know, where you have time to really pay attention to the phenomena of human experience in a liberating way. And one of the great ways to start to practice, if you want to, and here's what I want to encourage. Usually I wait till the end of the talk before I give the homework, but I'm going to give it now. So here's your homework for this week, which is pay, be mindful of your speech for a week and see what happens. See what it's like to wake up when you're talking, when you're listening, when you're communicating, when you're interacting with yourself, with others, with at work, community, relationship, alone, however it is. See what happens. See if you can be mindful this week of speech. And, and as you already hear, there's two parts to communication that's important which is speech and listening. And listening is highly underrated, highly undervalued. It's not an art most of us practice. It's not an art we learn. Like how to really listen. What does it mean to really listen? <coughs> and it's important because especially... Um, one of the beauties of speech as practice is 
a lot of speech has to do with relating to one another, talking with one another, friends, lovers, family, we're co-workers, people we don't like, you know, we, we have to relate to one another. And so one of the important things that will help you in your practice of right speech this week is also making sure right speech includes right listening. Listen to the people you're listening to. <laughs> That's a beautiful Buddhist phrase. <laughs> listen to the people you're listening to. Really listen. What are they saying? And of course, I know I have something else about listening somewhere else, but I'm going to pull it out there if I can find it. Listening, listening, listening. This is from Eckhart Tolle. He said, when listening to another person, don't just listen with your mind. When listening to another person, don't just listen with your mind. Listen with your whole body. Feel the energy. Feel the energy field of your inner body as you listen. That takes attention away from thinking and creates a still space that enables you to truly listen without the mind interfering. So what he's pointing at now is the presence or the fullness or the totality of being in the present moment with the person you're listening to and taking them in in a full way. So you're taking in their voice. You're also taking in their energy. You're taking in their affect. You're taking in their... Um, of freedom or lack of freedom that might be present there. You're taking in their present centeredness or lack of present centeredness which may be there. He said, he says, take that, um, that takes attention away from thinking, creates a still space that enables you to truly listen without the mind interfering. So it's not just we're reacting to things. And he goes on, he says, you are giving the other person space. You are giving the other person space to be. Giving the other person space to be. It is the most precious gift you can give. Most people don't know how to listen because the major part of their attention is taken up by thinking. So you can experiment while I'm talking right now without thinking. No, you know, I'm kidding you a little bit. Come on, I can kid around. <laughs> I don't, don't want to be too serious about anything. But, uh, but really what I mean is you can experiment. What's it like to feel yourself, feel your body, feel your heart, feel your mind, be mindful of your experience, of the human experience that's sitting here, and then see what happens. What happens in terms of relatedness? What's it like to hear what I have to say? It I'm really not saying, oh, you have to like what I say or believe what I say. But you're creating a different relatedness in terms of your awakeness and your relationship to me and whatever I'm saying, whether it's good or bad. And, so, and, and here's something I'll add on to Eckhart Tolle which is just, you will see your reactivity in your mind or whatever reactions come. You don't have to get rid of those. That's 
it's, you're creating a space for everything to happen and be known and then you can make a wise um, a decision about how you want to respond to what I'm saying whether it's good or bad or right or wrong or helpful or unhelpful or skillful or not skillful and then it's and then you're free to include your own reactivity instead of just be bound to it or tied to it and that's one of the things mindfulness can do it can start to free us from ourselves it's also a good little Buddhist line. I like that line. Free us from ourselves. So, <clears throat> so one of the other um, pieces that's important, or principles that's important when we start to practice with right speech, is it's not just what we say that starts to get illuminated but it's where the words are coming from and I could get very esoteric about this but and I'm not going to really what I mean in other words you could look at the phenomenology of what's happening it's totally wild but let's not go there yet but really look at one of the things right speech asks of us is why are you speaking What's motivating you to speak? Because if we just speak without being aware of our motivation, I don't know about you, but believe me, I could say anything. <laughs> and have. Said, let me be honest about this. I have, I have once or twice, you know, uh, practiced wrong speech. <laughs> but really, I'm pointing at something, people, that it's hard to, it takes some mindfulness, some heartfulness, some bodyfulness to begin to see our motivation. What's motivating us to talk? Because it asks for us to look clearly or closely at the intention that has stimulated the speaking rather than just assuming I'm right and that's why I'm talking. You know, or I know what's best and that's why I'm talking. Or, or it's the truth and that's why I'm talking. And truth is really highly valued in Buddhism. But that's not the end of the story either. When the Buddha was asked about this, about speech and skillfulness in speech, he said the Tathagata, which is one of the names of the Buddha, I'll say it this way. The Buddha knows the time to use such speech. And he says, why is that? Because the Buddha, the Tathagata, has compassion for beings. So he's pointing to his motivation for speech, which is compassion. And if you're mindful of yourself, or I'll, I'll just say it for me, if I pay attention... I notice there's sometimes I want to talk and it's not out of compassion. <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm pissed off. Or I want to make somebody feel bad. Or I want to show how great I am. Or I want some recognition for something. Or I want the other person to get they don't know what they're talking about. And so that's important to start to see the motivation so we're not bound to ourselves. 
to the small sense of self, to the sense of self which might not be so awake or so free or so open to really responding to reality at its depth. So in, in Buddhism there are some uh, one of the ways speech is talked about is in terms of its negatives and positives. And there are four negatives and they correlate with four positives. So I'll just give you the eight negatives and positives all together. So if one practices right speech, one abstains from false speech. Right, abstains from false speech, which means one and the positive, one speaks the truth. Right? Pretty simple, not, not too esoteric. One abstains from slanderous speech, which means one, one uses speech that promotes friendship and harmony. One abstains from harsh speech, which is, means one promotes speech which is kind or warm or heartfelt or touching. And one abstains from idle chatter. This is the hardest one for most people. <laughs> one abstains from idle chatter, which means that one uh, uses speech that is meaningful or of value to speak or has import. And the simple way to think about it, I believe, is even simpler than this, these eight. I'll give you two, two ideas. And the basic idea is, is it true and is it useful? And just that as a reflection. Is it true and is it useful? And notice what happens this week when you're talking to somebody and all of a sudden this comes to your mind. Oh, is what I'm saying true? Is it useful? And see, and this is not about creating judging mind. This is about awakening up the mind to a normal, everyday human activity that we're not awake to, which is speech. And so see, is it true? Is it useful? And in Buddhism, there's a big emphasis on truth. Even the word dharma is uh, often translated as truth. Right? You want to realize the Dharma, you want to realize the truth of reality. And the veracity or the, the, the ability to speak truly, beautiful quality. And if you ever meet a human being where that's highly developed, it resonates. Oh, this is a true person. This is a true being. This is a real speech. This is honest speech. There's no bullshit here. And that's a powerful person. That's, that's part of the maturation of the human being. And, and truth in the way that I'm talking about means being accurate or reliable or genuine, having a sense of authenticity or legitimacy, a kind of reputability or sincerity. And even the words I'm using, they're beautiful words. And I, I love all these words, reliability or genuineness or authenticity. Or, because these are beautiful uh, 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 ways that the human being can flower in relationship. Is to be able to act in a way that's trustworthy, 
or sincere or dependable or authentic. And there's a kind of uh, devotion <coughs> to the truth that becomes very uh, powerful because it's bigger than our devotion to ourselves, than our ego self, than our identity that thinks it has to be great or has to prove something or has to become something. We start to see there's something more to who and what we are than the ego-constructed sense of self. And that moreness has a power to it and a beauty to it and a, a, a capacity to awaken and to be real, to be real, not to be false, to be honest. And it's the movement of the human being to reality and to the awakening of reality. And truth is, has its own power to it. Mark Twain was very big on the truth. I don't know if you knew he was a Buddhist. <laughs> he wasn't. I can see that. That wasn't true. <laughs> just want to be clear. But I like the idea. He said, if, if you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. <laughs> Everybody gets that. I don't have to explain that. We all get that because we've all had to remember a shit when we said it, that it wasn't the truth. Because then you have to defend it or remember it or protect it or shore it up or do something. When you just say the truth, that's it. That's it. It's the truth. And you can say it again. And it's considered so powerful or important in Buddhism because the Buddha said there was one precept, just one, one precept that he never broke. And it was the, the precept that he never spoke a lie. That's, that's impressive. Right? He, and he, so he wasn't just bragging, said, oh yeah, I did all the precepts. and I always, He said, no, 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 actually I broke them all. But there was one I didn't break. And, and I think that's so important. And it's even considered, it, it comes down the lineage from the Buddha through the Theravada, the Mahayana, the Vajrayana, the various forms of Buddhism, the, the Bodhisattva ideal, the Bodhisattva ideal. Uh, one of the things they say about the Bodhisattva, like the Buddha, is the Bodhisattva can break all the precepts, but not the precept of speech. And so it's pointing to an archetypal reality that if you want to awaken, you might start right with that. Just either say what's true or don't say what's false. Either way. But see what happens if you start to bring your consciousness into alignment with this one truth that the Buddha and Buddhism thinks is very important. So the valuing of truth and its actualization. And uh, there's one other, I'll tell you a story. I could read you a story. Do you want to hear a story from the scriptures? Or do you want me to tell you? <laughs> 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 you, you, got, you got two choices. One is, 
I'll read it from the scriptures, which is and it's a pretty good translation. It's from Kanasara Vika, and um, or I can give you a Eugene version of it, which will be a little shorter. Eugene version. Wait, if you want the Eugene version, forget it. Raise your hand. If you want the Buddhist version, well, it's close. I think I'm going to decide. I'll be honest about that. Here, I'll read you the Buddhist version quickly. I won't do it all. And those of you who don't want to hear it, you can leave right now. Tell me about No problem. Believe me, I've left down to talk. It's okay. But it's been a long time since I So, Rahula was staying at Mango Stone. Do you all know who Rahula was? No. Rahula was the Buddha's son. Right. Okay, just for those of you who don't know, I'll give a little context. So the Buddha was married, had a kid, and when he went off to awaken, and he left his family, and he woke up, and then later his family, he goes back, his family comes to him, there's some scenes between his ex-wife and him, if you really read the script, the, the scriptures, um, but she ends up becoming uh, a disciple and so does his son so they, they create a new relationship a spiritual relationship so Rahula is his son and so the, the blessed one, the Buddha rising from his seclusion late afternoon went to where venerable Rahula was staying at the mango stone Rahula saw him coming from afar and seeing him set up water a seat and water for washing his feet. And the Buddha sat down on the seat and uh, set out for him and having sat down washed his feet and Rahula bowing to the Blessed One sat to one side. And the Blessed One, the Buddha, having a little bit of water and I can't do this quite good. I don't do this. See, I'm not, I'm not as prepared theatrically as I used to be when I was younger. So, so the um, the Buddha, he has a scooper with water in it, right? Because he was using it to wash his feet. And he says, Rahula, do you see this little bit of leftover water remaining in the dipper? Can you see it at all? Some of the people in the front rows can see. In the back rows, you probably have to just believe there's a little bit of water left. So, and... Um, um, so he says, Rahula, do you see this little bit of leftover water remaining in the water dipper? And Rahula says, yes. And, and the Buddha says, that's how little of a contemplative there is in anyone who feels no shame at telling a deliberate lie. Right? That's how little of a contemplative, a practitioner, there is in anyone who feels no shame at telling a deliberate lie. And then he goes like this. And he dumps the water out. And he says, Rahuli, do you see how this little bit of leftover water is tossed away? And Rahula said, yeah, I see that. And, he, and the Buddha says, Rahula, whatever there is of a contemplative in anyone who feels no shame at telling a deliberate lie is tossed away just like that. Right? So he's saying... 
Okay, I'll say it again. Who feels no shame in telling a deliberate lie? They're tossed away just like that. And having turned the water dipper upside down, Let's be sacrilegious today. <laughs> Having turned the water dipper upside down, the Blessed One said to the Venerable Rahula, uh, Rahula, do you see how this water dipper is turned upside down? Thank you. Whenever there, whatever there is of a contemplative in anyone who feels no shame at telling a deliberate lie is turned upside down just like that. And then having turned the water dipper right side up, the Buddha said to Rahula, do you see how empty and hollow this water dipper is? Yes. Rahula, whatever there is of a contemplative in anyone who feels no shame at telling the deliberate lie is empty and hollow, just like that. And then there's, there's more to it where he, he gives a positive about a, a royal elephant. But, um, but the idea is he's saying something and now you got to get a few things so it's a Buddha talking to a student it's also a father talking to his son Rahul is seven years old when this teaching is happening right? and really the whole teaching is don't lie whatever you do don't lie be, be honest and, and um, so it's an interesting encouragement from the Buddha for all of us like, and it's a pretty common encouragement but it's strong in Buddhism this one because as the Buddha said it's the one precept he never broke he didn't tell a lie and he woke up so the question for us or one of some of the questions that I find helpful and you can contemplate for yourself reflect on for yourself is why do we deny the truth or why don't we tell the truth? <coughs> or when do we deny the truth to ourselves or to other people? And why? What's the motivation when we're telling a lie? Right? What's, what's the, what are we believing is going to happen if we don't tell a lie? Or what are we protecting about our identity or our sense of self? Because this is an important part of Buddhism. It's pointing to a sense of awakeness that's not based on the ego sense of self. And so what are we protecting? What are we defending by telling why? And why? And of course, it's easier to go, we could go a little broader and think about how you feel when you find out the government is lying to you, right? Or if a friend tells you a lie and, and you get it, oh, he's lying or she's lying. And you say, hey, what, what's going on? It has an impact on the weave of the friendness or if a family member is lying and you know it's different for different people but if it's a parent that's one thing if they're lying or why are they lying and what, what is that or, and if it's a child 
that's important to find out what's going on, why is the child lying? And you know, sometimes a child needs to lie because it's you know, it's a way they're separating or whatever. It doesn't mean we have to condemn people who lie, but we want to see what's going on. And so, or or if you're in a you know, uh, if you have a lover or you know, uh, married or you know, person you're living with, what what's going on if there's not honesty? Either way, that becomes an important question. And so in Buddhism, abstaining from false speech, very important, very important, is highlighted and uplifted as import or valuable. And here's, you know, I don't know who this is from. It could be from the Buddha, but I found it in one of my talks, and I liked it. And it's about community. And I thought, because we meet as community, that's what we're doing here. We're all coming together, and we're all trying to wake up. That's as far as I can tell. There may be some other things we're doing here, but that's the fundamental uh, motivation of San Francisco Insight. And so I believe it's from the Buddha, but I'm not positive. It says... When members of the Sangha community, when the members of the Sangha practice right speech, it generates trust and harmony within the community and becomes a strong support for others' liberation. On the other hand, when members of the Sangha speak falsely or act in ways that encourages others to use false speech, it brings about a deterioration of trust among people in the community and undermines liberation. So it's pointing to the power, not just for each individual, but as a community, what happens. And it's why right speech is so valued as part of the Buddhist monastic tradition and the Buddhist sangha community tradition. And it's why listening then becomes so important because when you're having conflict, and everybody has conflict, one of the great things about reading the Buddhist scriptures is you read about the conflicts that happen there among the monastics and different people. You know, it's, it's humans. Humans have a hard time together. It's just part of the deal. But, but um, um, if we're not able to pay attention if we're not able to listen to the other person when we're having conflict, it'll never get straight. We need to be able to listen to the other person when they're angry at us, when they're mad at us, when they're unhappy with us. And they need to be able to listen to us. We need to be able to speak in that way. <clears throat> and then the last piece I want to say is really... Uh, about the beauty of speech and the power of speech and the magic and mystery of speech that I could be and maybe after a while you would understand what I was saying but it would take a while and we have languages that have been developed by humanity over the years right and we can communicate in this way that is quite amazing. 
And the teachings of the Buddha have come down in this way, as one of the ways they've come down from person to person, from man and woman, generation to generation, for you know how many thousands of years since the Buddha was born, by communicating in this way about the Dharma and the potential to awaken, and then teaching that. And it's beautiful that the power of communication can liberate and protect and enhance and nourish and support human life and human maturation. <coughs> and actually, if you read the text, one of the beautiful things is they have these parts where a bunch of people get awakened just by hearing the Buddha's voice, just by the power of speech, and I would say the power of his transmission of his presence. <coughs> and um, boy, I have some nice quotes. I'm going to give you a couple of them because I like them. One is one that I've read often, but I, I love this from Bhikkhu Bodhi because he talks about truthful speech provides, he says, in the sphere of interpersonal communication a parallel to wisdom in the sphere of private understanding. The two are respectively the outward and the inward commitment to what is real. Wisdom consists in the realization of truth. <clears throat> and truth is not just a verbal proposition, but the nature of things as they are. To realize truth, our whole being has to be brought into accord with actuality, with things as they are. Truthful speech establishes a correspondence between our own inner being and the real nature of phenomena. Thus, more than an ethical principle, devotion to truthful speech is a matter of taking our, st our stand on reality rather than illusion on truth grasped by wisdom rather than fantasies woven by confusion. Should I read it again? Yes. A little bit of this. I'm not going to read all, but he says, wisdom consists in the realization of truth, and truth is not just a verbal proposition, but the nature of things as they are. To realize truth, our whole being has to be brought into accord with actuality, with things as they are. Truthful speech establishes a correspondence between our own inner being and the real nature of phenomena. Thus, the more, more than an ethical principle, devotion to truthful speech is a matter of taking our stand on reality rather than illusion, on truth grasped by wisdom rather than fantasies woven by confusion beautiful understanding from Bhikkhu Bodhi. <clears throat> and you know, I think that's a really good good place to have for now. So, and I've given you your homework for this week, which is write speech. And write means in, in alignment with what is real. Write doesn't mean, you don't think right and wrong, good or bad. Think in alignment with reality. And so see what it's like this week to spend the week paying some attention, being mindful of, being heartfelt 
with your speech and your listening both and see what happens see what you discover and see what it brings it's, a, it's an opportunity to practice way more in your life than if all your practice was just based on sitting in silent meditation Okay. okay. So we'll <clears throat> take a moment and offer the goodness or the blessings or the merit of our practice here together. May it be for the benefit of all. May it be for the benefit of all beings. All beings in this room, in this church in this city, in this country, in this continent, in this world. May all beings be happy and peaceful. May all beings be free from suffering, free from the suffering of dishonesty, of not being real, not being truthful, of that kind of ignorance that supports the division of peoples, cultures, countries, species. May all beings be free from suffering. May all beings awaken. May we awaken together. May we discover the freedom that is possible in every moment in every being, in every word. May all beings be free. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.